Good morning, everybody. Everybody that's here and everybody that's watching online, we're so glad you're here, so glad you're tuning in. Enjoying the weather. A little overcast still, but it's quite nice out here. Um, next week, we are actually going to have this whole area tented in, so we'll have some nice shade out here for us, uh, Lord willing. And on that note, I know it's going to get warmer later in the day, but we are going to switch our Sunday service time next week back to 1015. So we'll have the shade out here. Okay, some of you guys don't like getting up early. I'm sure the band will be very pleased. But um, yeah, 1015 next week, back to regular time. Everybody got that? All right, there's going to be shade, so don't worry. It's going to be great. And this coming week, um, I want to encourage you guys, as always, to come to the Wednesday evening service. We had it out here in the courtyard this past week, and it was awesome. We had a great turnout. Uh, Pastor Rob began the book of First Samuel. It's going to be teaching through that on Wednesday evenings at 6.30. So please, if you haven't come, consider joining us. And if you have been coming, we love you. We love the rest of you, too. But please come and check it out. He's going to be teaching First Samuel chapter 2 this week. And then finally... The announcement you've all been waiting for, the calvarynapa.org new website is officially finished and up. Um, you can take a look at it today, probably not during the service would be a good time, but go ahead and, and go there, check it out, scroll through, take a look at everything. Um, countless untold hours have gone into making it where it is, so uh, please take a look. We've got everything that people have been requesting for a long time, calendar, all that good stuff. So calvarynapa.org, pretty hard to forget. Oh, and if you, if you saw the coffee mugs over here, I know there was some confusion last week. Um, those are free, so don't worry about uh, paying for them or anything like that. They're just with a suggested donation of $100, you can take one home and uh, you'll be good. <laughs> But uh, yeah, if you didn't grab one last week, please go ahead and take one, and we'll keep restocking those, and hopefully everyone, the same people, aren't just taking four every week. Um, so before we get started, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you that you've gathered your people. I want to pray for all of the churches here, Father, that are gathered in your name today to glorify your Son, Father, that uh, your hand of blessing would be upon our city. Lord, I ask that you would use our church, our, our body of believers here, God, to reach Napa, Father, to seek the lost, Lord, with the good news of the gospel. Father, and I thank you, Lord, that you have made a way, God, for us to be reconciled to you and that you are building your church, God, all across the world and that nothing will stay your hand, Lord. No pandemic, uh, no political feuds, Father, can stop the mighty and powerful work that you are doing in the world, Lord. And we thank you that you've chosen us to be a part of it, God. May our hearts be stirred, Father, to serve you in making disciples here at Calvary Napa uh, in every sphere of influence that we have, Lord. And uh, we pray for our brothers around the world, our brothers and sisters uh, who are not able to gather as we are, Father, who are uh, under severe persecution, God, that you would sustain them, Father, that you would give them strength, courage, endurance. Lord, and I thank you that we are able to minister to them through the power of prayer, God, that you have given us a line of communication with you, Father. So we ask your blessing on them. And uh, we ask, Father, now, as we open your word, 
Lord, that you would bless us with it, that our hearts would be soft and open to receive what you have for us, Father. We ask that you would bless uh, the generosity of our people, God, as we give to you, as we give to the great work that you are doing around the world, Father, that you would take our time, our finances, our efforts, and that you would multiply them greatly, Father, for your kingdom. I ask your blessing on Pastor Rob, Father, as he brings the word for us today, that you would speak powerfully through him, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, God, and that uh, your word would be illuminated to us, God, that it would speak to our hearts now, that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, Father. You're so good. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. I'm so glad to see you all here again, meeting outside. <clears throat> I'm looking forward to going back to normal time next week and having this, this area shaded. I know that'll be a blessing for for all of us, and so I'll try not to go too long. I know last week uh, the sun got to beating down towards the end, and uh, you know I want to spare you guys that. So I'm in the sun today. I'm going to bear it with you, and uh, and we will we will do this. All right, folks. So today we are finishing up our our series Calvary Napa Vital Signs, and so we wrap that up today, and we are going to be talking about found people find people. Found people find people. So if you go on our website and you look at, uh, at our, uh, the vital signs, it will say this. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Having been found, we have a responsibility and a desire to share the message of the seeking and, sa- excuse me, seeking and saving love of sinful men and women here on earth. As followers of Jesus, we desire to imitate him and to reach those who have not yet come of Jesus to those around us. To the light, and now we have a responsibility. We have, yes, and we praise God for that. So we're going to be looking at a few points today. First point, Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. That's why he came. He made that very clear. In Luke chapter 19, verse 7, I'm sure we know the story of Zacchaeus. It's an awesome story. And so Jesus was passing through Jericho, and he was uh, working mightily, and the crowds were going after Jesus, and then there was this tax collector named Zacchaeus. What do we know about Zacchaeus? He was a short guy, yeah, he was a little fellow, and <clears throat> he was concerned he wasn't going to be able to see Jesus, so what did he do? He ran ahead and he climbed up into a tree so that he could catch a glimpse of Jesus. Well, Jesus came by, and saw him up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down because we're going we're gonna to dine at your house today. And so he was so eager to do that. So he did, and <clears throat> they went to Zacchaeus's house. And wouldn't you know it, there were the, the religious elite present, and they were there to, to scorn Jesus for, uh, for consorting with wicked people. You know, that was always something that Jesus had to deal with. So they're complaining. And so Luke chapter 19, verse 7 says, But when they saw it, they all complained. And he has gone to be the guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house 
because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come, what? To seek and to save that which was lost. That was Jesus' mission statement. He came to seek those who are lost. So Zacchaeus would have been among the most despised in that culture. He was a tax collector, and we're told he was a chief tax collector, and that he was exceedingly rich. And so as I've mentioned this before, they were under the Roman occupation at that time, Israel. They had to answer to Rome. Ultimately, they had to pay taxes to Caesar. They hated this. They, They saw this as oppression. And so Rome would raise up tax collectors in different precincts that would um, exact taxes upon the people. So you could purchase an area, and that would be your area, and the people that lived there would have to pay tax to you, and you would keep a cut of it and give the rest to to Rome. And so oftentimes these guys would charge a lot more so that they could really pad their pockets. And so this guy was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector, but he was over many tax collectors. And so he was high up on the chain. And I think the fact that we're told that he's very rich is a clue here that he really had uh, done a lot of people wrong and had profited on the backs of so many people's taxes. And so he was a very hated man. But you know what? Jesus didn't hate him. Jesus did not despise Zacchaeus. In fact, Jesus loved him. Jesus sought him out, and Jesus called him. There's so many things Jesus could have done. He was being thronged by the crowds, and Zacchaeus is up in a tree, kind of hidden out of the way. But Jesus went directly to him and called him out of the tree and said, I want to come to your house today. I love how Jesus does that. He just invited himself into Zacchaeus' house, you know. And that, that's a great prayer, I think, for us. Is Lord, have your way, you know, just... Invite yourself in, you know, come into my heart, come into my home, and would you please, Lord, just just have your way. And so Jesus did that. Well, Zacchaeus stood up in the midst of all of this, and he boldly demonstrated that he was repenting. He was changing. He was turning his life around. And he said that if uh, if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, and obviously he had. He said, I restore fourfold. Excuse me. So there were expectations given by the law uh, to make things right if you had wronged people, and he exceeds that here. And so he goes way above and beyond. He doesn't just do the bare minimum. He goes out of his way to make things right. So in response to this, Jesus declares that salvation had come to the house of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a changed man. Zacchaeus had given his heart and his life to the Lord. Zacchaeus was turning his life around and he was going to make things right. And then Jesus proclaimed his mission and that it had been accomplished this day in Zacchaeus' house. He had come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus had been found. Zacchaeus was a found man. Now let me just ask you this, guys. Is this not what we long to see? You gotta, I mean, I know that in our heart of hearts, we want to be used by God like this. We want to see this kind of thing happen, don't we? And you know, we live in a challenging area, and this is not something that you see all that often. But sometimes I have to stop and think about my own life. I mean, look at all the people that are present in this courtyard right now. We are all a product of this. We have been found by the Lord. We have been encouraged and reached out to by other people. And Jesus got a hold of us and changed and saved our lives. Amen? 
And so we know that that's exactly what Jesus came to do, and he's still doing it today because here we are. And he wants to use was lost. This is something that we all long to see. This is something that we all rejoice in any time that we get to see it happen. And you know who else rejoices? Heaven is teen, verse 4. Jesus uh, is telling a story. In fact, he tells three stories, the 99 sheep and the one, and then a story of 10 coins, and then the story that we all know so well as the prodigal son. And so once again, in the beginning of chapter 15, the, the religious people there are criticizing Jesus for, for being with sinners. And so Jesus begins to tell these parables to speak to this very thing. And he's making a, a comparison here between the so-called sinner and then the religious. There's the prodigal son, but then there's the older brother, the self-righteous brother. Does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost. And neighbors heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just. And he so and everything just to find that one sheep. Everything. I mean, think about that. You know, we, if you have something in abundance and you lose one, you know, the temptation might be, you got $100, you lose a dollar. So ah, it's just a dollar, right? No big deal. I don't know, some of you might not be that way. You might be willing to go to, to the death to get that dollar back. But typically speaking, that's kind of how we are. Well, it's not like that with Jesus. One person is everything. And the shepherd is willing to leave everything just to find the one. And Jesus reinforces this, as I said, throughout the rest of the chapter. You have the, he tells a story about a lady that had ten coins. She lost one, and she swept her house through until she found this coin, and then she called her neighbors together to come and rejoice that she had found this coin. And then there's the story of the prodigal son who, who left the house. He asked his father for his inheritance early, and he went out and wasted it in prodigal living and then everything went really bad, and he had to basically give himself into service to, to another just to, to survive. And he realized that the food that he was feeding the pigs, they were eating better than he was. And so he thought, I'm just going to go back to my dad, and maybe he'll just let me be a, a servant. And so he went back. But what happened? The father was watching, waiting, looking from afar, and he ran to him and embraced him, and he restored him. And that is a picture of the Father for us. He's looking for the one. He's looking for the one. And when that one comes, we're told that there is great celebration in heaven. All of heaven rejoices when one is found. All of heaven erupts in praise. I think first and foremost, praise to God for His, His, uh, His grace and His mercy that's being shown, put on display once again for another redeemed sinner. But then also because of, I, and I'll speak more about this a little later, but just the value, the value of one saved person, one found person to the heart of God. Well, this brings us to point number three. Jesus has more people to find. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. All of heaven erupts into praise when one is found. But guess what? Jesus has more people to find. John chapter 10. This is the, uh, the, the good shepherd, the I am statement. And Jesus says this in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice and there will be one flock 
and one shepherd. So continuing on with the, uh, the sheep analogy, and Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, I know my sheep. Jesus knows who his sheep are, and Jesus is known by his sheep. And I love this about our shepherd. That's the relationship that we have, folks. We have this intimate, personal relationship with our shepherd. We know him. He knows us. And I think Jeremiah chapter 1, I, I love this verse. I quote it often. I think you really catch the sense of this. God speaking to Jeremiah in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even born, God already knew who he was. And when the Bible says God knows somebody, it's not as though he just knows something about them. God knows everything. I mean, it's, it's a mystery to our minds how this can be. Before we even exist, God can say, I know you intimately. and I know everything about you, everything that's going to ever happen to you. He said, I have set you apart, Jeremiah. I have called you. I have ordained you to this place in life. And that's the kind of relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep. In fact, the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life so that we could know true life and be found in him. Now, one, as I've said before, what this communicates, the shepherd had to give his life for the sheep. What this communicates is the seriousness of our sin, what it took for us to be redeemed, what it took for us to be ransomed, what it took for our sins to be paid for and washed away so that the justice of God would stand and that the, the mercy and the grace of God could be extended to us. That's what our sin required. But the good shepherd did that for us. He laid down his life for the flock. But what I think this also communicates is the value the value that we hold to God. He loves us so much. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to give his life. He was willing to pay that price to bring us in to the fold, to make us his. But you know what? Jesus has other sheep. There are more sheep out there who haven't come in yet, folks. Jesus has more sheep that he intends to bring in. And he said, they're going to hear my voice and they're going to be a part of my flock. That is the church. We as the church are the flock of Jesus, the good shepherd. We've been called out of the world and called into his fold. Amen. And he has more that he's going to bring into the church. Now, that is the mission of the church. We want to be a part of that. Don't you want to be a part of that? I mean, praise God that he lets us be a part of that. And we know that we can't save anybody. I hope you know that. I hope you don't carry that weight. I hope you don't feel like you have to have just the right answer or know exactly what to say. Just trust that as Jesus is drawing people, as he is calling his sheep into his church, he will use you to do that. He will use all of us. And that's exactly what we want. Which brings me to the next point. Jesus uses his people to find people. Point number four, Jesus uses his people to find people. Matthew chapter four, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and they followed him. So Jesus approached these would-be disciples and he fundamentally changed their priority in life. These were fishermen. This is what they did. Their entire lives were given to this task. And he said, follow me. Now, we talked about this already. We are followers of Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, it's altogether likely that he's going to make some radical changes in our lives. And he did that for them. He said, I'm going to change the way that you view life. I'm going to change your priority. He told them instead of catching fish, they would be catching people. They would be catching people. You know what? Jesus can do that with us. Jesus wants to do that with us. Jesus would have us give our lives to finding and catching others. And so I would just say, practically speaking, day by day, we should be praying. I want to encourage you folks, in the morning, pray. Ask the Lord that that very day He would give you an opportunity. An opportunity to see somebody, to reach somebody. Pray that the Lord would give you an opportunity. That's where it begins. You know, pray that God would allow you to actually see it. Sometimes I think God gives us opportunities and we don't even see it. It's right in front of us. Pray that God would give you an opportunity. Pray that God would allow you to see it. And then pray that God would give you the ability to be fruitful in interacting with people. And we're going to talk more about that. We're going to get a little more practical uh, towards the end um, as it pertains to these things. But Jesus said that he was going to use us to find people, to catch people. Which leads me to point number five. Jesus has given us a mission. Jesus has given us a mission. Matthew chapter 28, I'm sure we all know this, this verse well. Matthew chapter 28, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have... Don't worry about it, folks. That's all right. It's just paper in the wind. The Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So look, Jesus did not give them a helpful suggestion. Jesus didn't say, in my opinion, or would you please consider, he said, all authority has been given to me. Jesus died and rose again from the grave and then said, all authority has been given unto me. And so here is my command unto you. Make disciples. Make disciples. And they took that command seriously. And for that reason, 2,000 years later, here we are disciples of Christ. And should the Lord tarry, this is going to keep happening. The church is going to keep growing. It's going to keep going because of this commission right here. He said, you are to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them, to, to teach them to ob observe all the things that I have commanded. And that's, that's what it is, folks. It's as simple as that. Faith in Christ, baptism, and then learning the Lord's precepts, learning the Lord's heart, understanding how we can live in a way that is, that is worthy of the gospel, and then sharing it with other people. That is the Christian life. And so often we stop short of that, don't we? 
we kind of get stuck in this one little place. You know, a lot, of, a lot of Christians haven't even been baptized. And so they haven't even been obedient to, to really the beginning of this. They haven't been baptized. But then, you know, we get so focused on ourselves. And, and I talked about last week growing and changing, and that is crucial for the Christian life. But then it goes beyond us to other people. And so that was Jesus' charge that they should go out, baptize people, and teach them all the things that Jesus did and said. And then this, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. That is a beautiful promise, isn't it? Isn't that what we want? Do you want Jesus to be with you? That's something that we often pray and ask, isn't it? Lord, I just want to sense your presence. Lord, would you just be with me? Well, Jesus said that he would be. But he said it would be in the context of discipleship. If you really want to experience the Lord's presence, the Lord's blessing in your life, make disciples because there's the promise. As long as you are doing this, I am with you even to the end of the age. And then he said, Amen. And so Jesus meant business there. Am I still on here? Okay. And so we have a mission, folks. Jesus has given us a mission to go and to make disciples. And this is our mission at Calvary Napa. This is something that we have have newly adopted. We are disciples making disciples. That's what we are about because we don't want to just play church. Do you want to play church? I don't think you do. Do you want to play Christianity? I don't think you do. Neither do I. I want to do what the Bible says. I want to do what Jesus told me to do. He said, I am to be a disciple making disciples. And that is what we want to do. That's what we want to be. And so that's our mission statement here at the church. But you know, just saying that doesn't make it so. Just saying, hey, we at Calvary Napa are disciples making disciples does not make it so. We actually have to get into the game and do it. We have to do it. Well, Jesus said, excuse me, Jesus, point number six, Jesus' people have a story to tell. So we have a mission. We have a mission. That's very clear. No one's exempt from it. We all play a part in it. But we have a story to tell, and every single story is unique. Every individual story is special, and God wants to use it. God wants to use your story. In Mark chapter 5, We have the story of this uh, demon-possessed man. He was living in the tombs. They had tried to bound him with chains. He broke the chains. We're told that he would cut himself with rocks and howl. And so he was in a a bad place. It was a terrible situation, you know. Sometimes I think, man, as bad as he looked, I bet he didn't look anything like I did back in the day, right? But this he was in bad shape. And Jesus came and set him free. Jesus set him free. And in verse 18, it tells us that he got, when he got into the boat, Jesus, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell him what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed, and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. The demon-possessed man had been radically healed and restored to sanity. When the people found him, he was clothed. He was there. He was in his right mind. And that's what Jesus does, right? He restores us to, to sane thinking. 
He changes our lives for the better. And uh, this guy just wanted to be with Jesus. That is a byproduct, folks, of being found by Christ. You want to be with him. You want to be with the Lord. And that's exactly what this guy wanted. He wanted to go where Jesus was going. That's all he knew. I've been saved. I've been changed. I've been healed. I've been restored. Now I want to go with Jesus. I love that. But Jesus said, no, you have a mission. I'm giving you a mission. I want you to do something else. He said, go home to your friends and tell them what the Lord has done for you, about the mercy and the compassion that the Lord has had toward you. And folks, we can all do that. We should all do that because we have all received mercy. The Lord has had compassion on all of us. You know, this was a, this was a word that I felt like the Lord really gave me for, for my wife when we were in Tennessee. I've shared this with you before, I, I think. But, you know, when I was coming out here, um, I was a, a staff pastor in Tennessee, and I had not been for very long. And all I knew was that was the dream of my life, to be in pastoral ministry and to be able to do it full time. And I finally had it. And then God was calling me out here. And the more that it looked like we were certainly coming here, the less it looked like doors were going to open up for, for me out here. And it was just a total step of faith. And so I'm, I'm sitting on Main Street back in Tennessee there, and I'm just reading the Word and, and reflecting on, on God and life. And I'm looking around thinking about how good I have it and, you know, how I frankly was starting to panic about the thought of leaving. And then as I was reading this very text, it was like the Lord just hit me so hard. And he said, you know, I'm going to use you. I've got a plan for you. But he said, I also have something for your wife. You know, and that, that was the sense that I got. And it was this verse, go home and tell your friends how God had mercy on you. And I have to tell you, the opportunities that my wife has had here and how God has used her, I, I know that this was indeed a word. And that's what it's all about, folks. We have people that we can tell in our own families and our, our own friends, wherever God has planted you, we can tell them about the mercy and the compassion that the Lord has had on us. And I don't care if, you know, some people think, oh, I don't have that much of a testimony. That is simply not true. You know, I mean, knuckleheads like me, like I knew I was a bad person and I knew I needed help. And it didn't take much to convince me of that. But when God saves you from being a good person, because you think that, uh, hey, I'm all right, you know, I do good things, I work, I take care of my family, you know, I'm charitable, I don't, you know, I don't, I haven't murdered anybody, I'm all right. That's a whole other level of blindness and hard-heartedness. What you're saying is, God, I don't need you. In fact, you should just let me in because I have done uh, everything I should do. And uh, God hates that. And that's, 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 that's a, a total blindness altogether and if you have been saved out of that God has revealed to you your need that is a miracle folks that is every bit of a miracle and so I gotta tell you that if you know Jesus you have a story to tell God has had mercy God has had compassion on you and God has set you free and so we have a mission and we have a story so I want to get a little practical here for uh, for the next point or two and then we'll close with another uh, verse, and uh, we're going to pray. But let me just say this, number seven. Jesus' church must be a reaching church. Jesus' church must be a reaching church. 
So let me just say this, folks. It's my desire to, to inspire. I didn't mean to, for that to rhyme, but it did. I want to inspire us to action. This is not me trying to guilt anybody. It's not me trying to, to twist your arm into something that you don't really want to do. But I just want to say that the health of the church corporately depends upon the actions of the church members individually. It's up to me and it's up to you individually to determine how this church is going to function overall. We all have a part to play and we all have to do it. And that's what this has been all about, these vital signs. You know, they say that if you aim at nothing, what? You'll hit it every time. You aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so we want to aim. We want to aim well and we want to aim for what Jesus has called us to pursue. And so we've, we've gathered together these six things that are achievable. They may be challenging, but they're biblical. And this is what I believe would make a healthy church. And so that's what this has been all about. And so now that we're teach, I've taught through this series, it's not like, okay, got that done. We don't ever have to go there again. No, this is the culture of the church, folks. These are the things that we are going to be regularly talking about, embracing, providing opportunities for us to walk in together. And so just a, a recap, we started with the fact that called people follow. We need to be committed followed. If we're not first and foremost saved, follow. have you determined that you will follow Christ? Called people follow. But then next, we've got to start growing. We've got to start changing. If we don't, guess what? We're just a stagnant church. If we're a church full of people that aren't really pursuing Christ, who aren't really growing in the grace and knowledge of Him, who aren't really changing from less from who we used to be and more like who Christ would have us to be, that's just a stagnant church. So we believe that growing people change. But we also want to be a gathering church. If we aren't gathering together, then that's no church at all. You know, it's, it's good right now, thanks to technology, that we can watch online and we do the best we can with what we have in the moment. But this is church, folks, he would have for us. And if we're not gathering, that's no church at all. So we believe God's people gather. But we also have to be a serving church. You know, there are a lot of needs that exist within the, the body, within the, the church gatherings. And Jesus has called us to be servants. He was the greatest servant. There are many needs. And if we don't come together and serve one another, needs of the church. So we believe saved people serve. Saved people serve. But you know, we also have to be a supporting church. There are all, there are all kinds of needs within the church financially and outside the church. Missions and, and other, other types of uh, ventures. And so a, a healthy, thriving church, a forward-moving church, has to consist of generous people that want to support people individually. If you believe this is your church, that God has called you to be a member of this body, and you want to be a part of the mission that's happening here, then I know God is moving in your heart to give towards the mission. And so we believe at Calvary Napa that forgiven people give. We've been forgiven a debt that we can never repay. We've experienced such generosity from our Lord. So it then follows that we would be the most generous people of all. Does it not? And then lastly, we want to be a reaching church. We have to be a reaching church. We have to get outside of ourselves. It's not about just our little holy huddle. You understand that? said back in John chapter 10. And so we have to be a reaching church. 
And so we'll be talking more about the reputation of a reaching church. Let me ask you this question. I've asked this several times. I want to always ask this question. It's something I have to ask myself. If Napa, Calvary Napa, shut down today, if we no longer existed, no longer continued to meet, do you think that our community would even know it? Would the people in Napa even know? And that's a, that's a weighty question. And I, I want that to be a resounding yes, they would know, because we really have a presence in this community. We're really working together to impact this community for good in practical ways, in tangible and helpful ways, but most certainly with the light of the gospel. We need to go outside the church. It's not about these four walls, as it were. We need to go outside the church. We want to reach this community. We want to have a presence in our community, and we want to make an impact. And I think that this is something that in some ways we've gotten away from in the last few years, but this is something that we're going to take very seriously moving forward. And, you know, it's challenging times. Obviously, we're somewhat hindered in this, but, but we are going to take some very solid and concrete steps to get back out into our community. And I want to know, do you all want to be a part of that? Would you pray for us? Would you partner with us? Would you join with us in getting in the community and making an impact? But, you know, we also want to bring people into the church. We want to go out and we want to bring people in. If all we're ever doing is just kind of expecting people to show up, but we're not really going out, do you know what that is? It's like fishing in a boat, except your lure is not in the water and you're just expecting fish to jump into the boat. That's what that is. That's not fishing. And so we've been called to be fishers of men, and we have to go out to bring people in. A church that does not reach out is what they call an ingrown church. It just becomes very, very um, stagnant, as I said. It's all about us. We're not really growing. We're not really reaching. And that's, that's a terrible place to be. I heard Greg Laurie say one time, the church is dying by attrition. People are moving away. If people aren't coming to faith in Christ. If people aren't coming to the church, it's going to go one direction, you know? And we don't want that, do we? No, we want the, the body that God has called us to be a part of. We want to do our part to add health to it, right? And so that's necessary. And so there are a few different ways that we want to go about uh, accomplishing this. And this is something that we're going to be talking more about in the coming weeks. But I would say that, you know, one-on-one outreach is, the most, is one of the most powerful approaches that we have. One-on-one, personal interaction. You know, there are ways that we can go out as a group and as a church, and we will be doing those kinds of things. But I think really, folks, if we just took seriously in the community throughout the week, trying to reach people and invite people, that's where it's really going to happen. You know, are we seeking to bring people to church? Think about this with me. Is this something that you think about very often, bringing people to church? I think that one reason why we don't really do that is because it's really uh, comfortable just to come, to receive, to leave when I'm ready, maybe go get lunch or do whatever afterwards, and we get comfortable in that place. It's very casual. To have to bring someone else kind of takes us out of that a little bit. You know, we have to be attentive to that person. You know, we want to kind of make sure that they're meeting other people, we're overly concerned about what they're thinking the whole time. And there's just all of these other factors that come into play, right? And so I suppose on, on some level, it might be an inconvenience in people's minds to bring people to church. But look, folks, we got to be on mission, right? 
It's not just about coming and receiving. We've been talking about this. It's not just about coming and receiving and then going home and then coming back next week and receiving. We have to be on mission. You know, remember I've been talking about the word posture, right? You remember that? Talked about a posture of serving. Jesus girded himself with the servant's towel to wash the Jesus' feet. He took the posture of a servant. He was ready to get into the game and to serve the needs of the disciples. And then I talked about generosity, having the posture of giving, always ready, always looking for an opportunity to bless somebody who's in need, to be a generous person. That's the kind of thing that God loves, right? Remember, God loves what? A cheerful giver, exactly. And that's having the posture of generosity. Well, here we want to have the posture of reaching. We want to be reaching out always. We want to have this posture of reaching out, bringing people in, and being a welcoming church. See, that's the other side of this thing, folks. If we're not a welcoming church, then there's no point in being a reaching church, right? I mean, if we bring people in and everyone treats them like the plague and doesn't want to talk to them uh, or is, you know, you know, shy or insecure, man, that's no good at all. You know, as, as nervous as we might be to walk up and talk to new people, I guarantee you it's way harder for them because it's their first time here. And so we have to be a church that really takes us seriously. We want to reach the community. We want to bring people in. We want to, to you know, connect them with other believers here in the church. You know, Jesus said that they're going to know you're my disciples by what? By your love one for another. Well, how are they going to see our love one for another? It's going to happen in the church. When we bring folks into the church and allow them to see Christian love and community happening in real time right in front of them, that is impact. That is, that is power right there. And so that's what we have to do. We have to go outside the church. We have to interact with folks, invite them into the church, and we have to welcome them warmly when they come in. And I've had a number of people tell me what a welcoming church we are and how they have been totally embraced from the moment they come in. And that, I love that, man. That blesses me every time I hear that. And I just want to say, good job, guys, and keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing there because it's a beautiful thing. And, hey, I've been a recipient of that myself. I was new here. And, uh, man, how blessed I was to just be embraced and brought into the fold. And so I thank you guys for that. I love you guys. And uh, I just want to say that's, that's great. So just some practical steps here. Number eight, practical steps for our church to be a reaching church. Uh, we, we are going to start providing resources to you guys and materials. We're going to have a, a place set up over here uh, where those, those pavers are, a table and a tent, and we're going to have resources available for you to, to learn what it means to be a disciple, to be able to take other people through those materials. We're going to be giving you outreach resources, church invitations. We've created some new Calvary Napa church invites, and some of them have a gospel tract on the back side that I wrote. And so just as simple as giving people church invitations throughout the week, and it has a gospel presentation on it. It's a really non-threatening way to go about it. I've handed out many of them. I just really haven't had anybody take offense. I had one person stop me from about 10 feet away when they realized what was coming, but that was the worst of it, you know, and that's not, that's not so bad. And so learning what it means to be a disciple, helping to, to disciple other people, reaching out, giving invitations and gospel presentations or tracts. We want to start doing classes. 
So we'll have classes here for, uh, after service, do lunch in the youth room, and then have little seminars on, on discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, how to make disciples, how to reach, how to, how to share because we want to equip you guys. You know, we're looking in this coming year, once this, this corona thing kind of passes us by, to start really revamping our small groups. We want to really revitalize our small group ministries, and we want everybody to be a part of a small group. And that is one great way to reach our, our people. There are people that will come into your home that would never come into the church. And so our small groups will be one way in which we're really reaching our community and reaching our neighborhoods. And so that's going to come. And, and there will be a lot that goes into that that we're really excited about. And we also are going to be doing outreaches and community projects. We want to do things to bless Napa. We want to let our light shine here in Napa. We want to be salt here. We want to bless our community. We want to give to the needs of our community. And we want to share the gospel with our community. Amen? And so those are just kind of some general things, and we'll, uh, we'll get more specific in the coming weeks as we begin to really put these things out and make them available and, and uh, really iron, iron these things out. But just know that's coming. And it's, it's important, folks. We need to be a reaching church. We need to take seriously, individually, uh, supporting our church and trying to reach folks and to bring them in because we want to see people saved, right? We want to see people change. We want to see Zacchaeuses. We want to see that kind of thing. And God will use us to do that kind of thing. He's done it in our lives, and he wants to use us to do it in other people's lives, right? Are you with me on this? Great. Well, you know, that leads us to our last point. We need power. We need power to do this. We can't do it in our own strength. It's scary, isn't it? It's nerve-wracking. I mean, just even... I was talking to another pastor one time about this, and as soon as I even started talking about evangelism, he instantly got nervous and started to like, you know... And he told me that. He's like, man, as soon as you even mentioned that word, I started becoming physically uncomfortable. And that's how it is for folks. It ain't easy. But Jesus said that he would give us power to do it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. We're going to read these verses together. I'm going to make some points, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for power. And I know that Jesus is going to give it to us because he promised he would. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Now, Jesus had been crucified. He rose from the grave. He appeared to many of his disciples, and he's getting ready to ascend up into heaven, and he's giving them their last, last instructions before he goes. And so verse 4, we're going to read all the way through to verse 11. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. 
Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, and as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So as I said, Jesus was about to ascend to heaven and he was giving them these final instructions. And he says, look, you've been baptized with water. You've been water baptized. You know the baptism of John. He said, but you have to be baptized with the Spirit. You have to be clothed with power. Well, the disciples, as usual, were distracted. They're thinking, okay, Jesus, that's fine, cool, cool, but is now the time? Are you going to finally set your kingdom up here on earth? And Jesus said, look, that's not your business. The times that God has, has set under his own authority, that is not for you to know or to worry about. He said, but you need power. You are going to be my witnesses. You are going to tell the world about what you have seen and what you have experienced. You're going to tell the world about me and what I have done and about what's available to them. And you need power to do it. Now, let me just say, guys, if they needed power to do it, do we need power? Do we need the Spirit's help? Do you think that Jesus would say to them, you guys need power, but everybody else after you, they got this. They're going to be just fine. No, if they needed power, we need power. We need whatever it is that the Lord will give us and then some. I remember a pastor early on in my Christian walk telling me that, and I never forgot that. He said, Rob, I just knew that I needed whatever the Lord would give me. I needed all of it. I wasn't going to cherry pick. I needed it all. And so we need power. Then Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're, they're awestruck. They're gazing up into the heavens, as it were. And then all of a sudden, there's these two angels standing there. God sent these two angels, and they kind of have to get them back on point. Essentially, what's happening here is these angels are like, hey, 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 job to do. You've been fake, so you got to get going. You got to get busy. And so what did they do? They had to go back, and they had to wait for the promise of the Father. They had to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. They had to be baptized in the Spirit so that they could be witnesses for Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Again, guys, we, we, we talk a lot about, Lord, fill me with your spirit, and I want to fill your spirit, and we want to feel all warm and fuzzy, and we like that, that intimacy and the, the emotional worship. We love that. You know you love that. But that's not really what it's for. The Holy Spirit is so that we could have power, so that we can live this Christian life, and so that we can share Jesus with a lost and dying world. And we need that power. And so I'm going to pray for us right now. And I'm just going to say, first, we need power, but we need love. We need compassion for the lost. When's the last time that you prayed God would give you that? Because that's not in our nature. We have all kinds of compassion for ourselves, and we're very concerned about ourselves. But how often do we have a heart for the lost? Praying that God would give us that. We need, frankly, the dread of hell for the damned. Look, folks, we've been set free. There's no condemnation for us. Perfect love has cast out fear. And we love that, do we not? But I think we need to feel the dread of hell for those who are still destined for it, those who are still heading in that direction. And I've prayed that before. God, would you give me the, I mean, the fear and the torment of the dread of, of hell, not because it's something that I have to worry about, but it's, it's the reality for so many people around us. And I need that kind of urgency 
Don't you feel like you need that kind of urgency? I think we need that. We need power. We need compassion. We need love. We need urgency. We need the sense of, oh man, this thing is coming and these people are going there and there's hope in Jesus and I have to get the message to them. But so often we're distracted by lesser things, other things. Well, God wants to do something about that in our hearts here and now and for all of those that are at home watching online. So here's the deal. I'm going to pray for us. But I want everyone to bow their heads because I want you to raise your hand if you really want this. And I don't want you to feel the pressure to raise your hand because other people are looking. You understand where I'm coming from? I only want you to raise your hand if you really want this. If you really want the power of the Holy Spirit, if you really want to be a witness of Jesus, if you really want to be a part of of making this a reaching church, if you really want to be used by God to get outside of these walls and to make an impact and to bring people into the church, to witness the love of Christ and to hear the gospel preached, if you want to be a part of that, everybody just bow your heads. Bow your heads right now. No looking around. Everybody at home too, this goes for you. If you want this, if you really want the power of the Holy Spirit on you, then I want to encourage everyone, raise your hands right now. Just raise your hand. I'll raise my hand because I, I desperately want it. I desperately need it. So, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And, Lord, you have given us a desire, I know, to be used by you, God, and to reach people with the message of the gospel. God, we, we hunger and to say, or we might look foolish, or they might reject us, or whatever. There's a million excuses, God, or reasons. But, Lord, you want to give us strength. You want to give us power. You want to give us opportunities. Would you pour your Holy Spirit out upon those who are viewing from home right now who aren't with us, those who will be watching this message throughout the week, God, those who will be watching this message down the road at any point in time, God, we are crying out, would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit, baptize us, God, and use us for your glory, for your kingdom, Lord, for your name and for the sake of your church. We trust you, Jesus. You have said that you would give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And Lord, we are asking and we are believing in faith, Lord, that you are pouring your Spirit out upon your church for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom here in Napa and all around the world. And so we love you, Father, and we thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, bless you guys. I praise the Lord for you all, and just know that we are praying for you throughout this coming week. And, uh, and next week, please get the word out. We're back at 1015 here in the courtyard once again. And so we love you guys. God bless. May God's blessing go before you this week. Amen.